Uh, turn to the book of 1 Corinthians this morning, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. And uh, last week we started a new sermon series. It's a short sermon series, uh, really for just the month of May, that we've entitled Landmines, exploring biblical answers to explosive topics. And topics uh, that are commonplace, both in our world today and in our church that can be explosive, and the reason why they can be explosive is there are varied opinions, varied ideas on the answer or the way that these topics or these situations or circumstances are to be dealt with. And so each week we're going to look at a different topic, a different landmine that in many ways has created a culture war within our country. And there is no more explosive of a topic in our world and even in the church today than that of human sexuality. Now, uh, just so you know, we're going to talk on the subject of sexuality this morning, and I told Amanda when I got up this morning, I got a lot of sun, I don't want you to think I'm blushing the entire time that I talk on this subject, even though I probably will blush a little bit. But this is a serious topic, and it's one that needs to be addressed, and, and I would say probably more in the church than it usually is. It's a reason, reason why we need to talk about the subject of sexuality is, quite frankly, uh, there is sex everywhere. At least it seems that way in movies and on television. It's on the internet. It's the central theme of most sitcoms and even commercials. It's all over the place. It's deep in our political uh, uh, interchange with one another. And it involves our community life. Everybody has an opinion on sexuality. And it seems that whether you are a single person or married, young or old, a believer in Christ and his word, or an unbeliever alike, all of us are impacted by the subject matter of sexuality. And it runs incredibly deep. It runs so deep that uh, the common discussion these days is it is the very sense of our identity. That all of who we are, how we live, how we go about our life, how we look at ourselves and others is based completely and solely on how we define our sexuality and our gender. This issue is an issue that has caused the country to be so divided that we find ourselves not talking to one another, but yelling at one another with regards to what we believe and why we believe it. And the reason why is we are incredibly passionate about this. We recognize that it cuts to the very core of who we are as people, as a community, and as a society as, whole, as a whole. It impacts how we go about doing business with one another, how we have relationships with one another, and it even impacts how we, uh, the laws that we pass and how we legislate morality in our world today. The reason why this is, is it is true that God created sexuality to be at the very core of who we are. It's not all of who we are. It is not the defining element of who we are. For the only identification that defines us is our identification as created beings under a holy and righteous God. But it's something that is so very important. 
Now, as we deal with this subject of sexual immorality and the struggle that's going on in our world today and how to define how there's healthy sexuality and unhealthy sexuality, it would be easy for me to be funny, and I'm not going to be altogether funny this morning because this is a serious issue that needs serious dialogue with regards to it, nor am I going to try to push the envelope. My job here is not to give you a birds and bees discussion on, on the um, different elements of sexuality. Um, what I want to talk about is what God's Word has to say on this subject and how we have to make a choice. Are we going to believe what God says about our sexuality or are we going to believe what we believe or what culture says about our sexuality? Now, as a pastor, there are two ways you can do this. First of all, uh, a lot of pastors will simply scream at culture. They will find a group of people that don't live the way that people in the church live or, or love in a different way than, than we in the church love, and we point them out, and we demonize them, and we say they're the problem, they're the issue, they're, their agenda, their thing is what keeps God's word from going forth. Now I'll tell you, these types of sermons are fun to preach. They're easy to preach. To point out someone else's sin, to point out someone else's wrong, to be a modern day Pharisee is fun to do in the pulpit. But the problem is, is while it may get a lot of applause in the pews, it falls on deaf ears when it comes to God. So the approach I want to take this morning in dealing with this very sensitive subject is to speak to you as followers of Christ and to speak primarily to how you are defined a healthy and God-honoring sexuality and then in turn to have the grace and the truth to be able to navigate how to interact in a fallen world and in a fallen community and fallen relationships where a holy and God-honoring sexuality is no longer seemingly the norm, but a minority opinion. We need to recognize what I know to be true of myself, and what I know to be true of the church I pastor, that none of us has the ability to stand in judgment against another. Does that mean we don't speak the truth? No, we speak the truth and we do so in love. But we cannot stand in judgment like we figured out this sexuality thing and all others haven't. We need to recognize this morning, and I confess to you, that this is an area that I have fallen more than I would ever want to confess. I need the grace of God, you need the grace of God, and the world needs the grace of God. We need God's clarity on this. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to read a passage of Scripture this morning, and I want you to know the overarching theme and truth of the passage we're going to read finishes with this idea of glorifying God with your body. That is the end game. That is what we as Christians are called to do. We need to glorify God with our bodies. It is not to pursue every pleasure, every desire, every appetite. That is not what our existence is made for as creatures of a creator God who has established rules and regulations of how we are to live. We need to follow him and his prescription, knowing that he is a loving and kind 
and gracious God who gave us our sexuality for our good and yes, for his glory. So our world has one approach to sexuality. It is a do, 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 do approach. If it feels right, do it. Feast on it. Stretch it as far as it can go. Pursue it in all ways possible. Push the barriers. Break the mold. Gorge yourself on every fetish. And with every day moving by, we move farther and farther away from God's truth. From where God created us as sexual beings to enjoy and to find some level of fulfillment. But instead of following him, instead of pursuing him, instead of treasuring him, we have made ourselves gods and we believe that everything that feels good should be given to us as if we deserve that right. But as we've departed from the things of the Lord, we find ourselves as a society, as a people, unfulfilled and hungry creatures Seeking for a sexuality that is advertising fulfillment, but never delivers. Let me repeat this. God longs for each and every one of us to experience and embrace and enjoy our sexuality. But it must be placed in the lordship of Jesus Christ and his word. And if not, you will be all over the place on this subject matter. Now, as I read this passage, and as I go through this, I want to speak biblically, graciously, but truthfully. My job is not to demonize any person or group of people. My job is to preach the Word of God and to teach what is plainly taught in the Scriptures. And I know that there will be some in here, just as there is every week, who will say he has no idea what he's talking about. He's speaking gibberish and rubbish. And so here's what I would say. At minimum, stop listening to me and hear what the Word of God has to say. And then you can make your own decision and go the way that you want. But this is what the Apostle Paul told the church of Corinth 2,000 years ago. And it would be good for us to hear these words, not as old-fashioned relics, but as truths that transform The very essence of who we are, including our sexuality. Let's start in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 9. If you don't have a Bible, turn in the Pew Bible to page 955 and you can follow along. Here's what Paul says. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord 
for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise up us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let's pray. Father God, I ask for great wisdom this morning to be able to articulate what you've laid on my heart and what you've taught me in my study of your word. I pray, Lord, also that you would give me grace. You'd give me grace to speak with love and charity to those who are just like me, broken in every way, including our sexuality. Lord, we need your help. We need your grace. We need your, your mercy. We need to be washed, as the scripture says, when it comes to our sexuality, so that we may honor you and glorify you. We recognize and know this morning, Lord, that where we stand and what we understand about this will, will direct us in so many ways. And so we need clarity this morning, Father. And I ask that through your word and by your spirit, we might receive it. It's in Christ's name we pray all of these things. Amen and amen. Well, in a world that our sexuality is told to do, 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 I want to give you some don'ts. I want to give you three don'ts this morning, and they're not the kind of don'ts that you might think that the church might say, but they are don'ts that will help us in navigating the culture, cultural landmine that our sexuality has created in our culture. So the first don't I want you to see is, number one, don't be quick to judge because we are all flawed. Don't be quick to judge because we are all flawed. Our text begins with some sobering words. Twice in our text, in 1 Corinthians 6, we are told the following. We are told that there will be people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is, they will not have a relationship with God. They will not enjoy the blessings of God. They will not experience life change in Jesus Christ. They will not experience an eternity uh, in heaven where all of their dreams and all of their uh, wants and desires are fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ for all eternity. There are those who will not inherit that blessing. And that should cause us to take some pause. And what he says is there's a list of things that people do. There's a list of, of activities that people are involved in that will tell you whether or not you find yourself living and experiencing the kingdom of God here, not only in the time to come. And he gives a list of sins. Now, right away in the church, we beeline to the one that makes headlines. And right away, uh, in our, in our list, we see a lot of things that we could wink at. But there's one that's a big one. 
homosexuality. Now, right away, I want us to be very careful because you will hear on television that the Bible never speaks on the subject of homosexuality, and it does. It's right there in black and white. It's right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. I want you to recognize that the Bible is clear on that particular activity, that particular pursuit, that the Bible is against it, that God is against it, and is one of the things that will keep people from inheriting the kingdom of God. But before we get on our high horse, before we begin to point out that particular group of people, that 4 or 3% of the, of the American population, we need to be careful to recognize that that is not the only behavior, that's not the only lifestyle that's listed in our text this morning. In fact, if we were honest with one another and honest with ourselves, there isn't one of us that can read that catalog of sins and not say, I have fallen to one of those as well. And it is because of that I will not inherit the kingdom of God on my own. Because I am a reviler, because I am sexually immoral, because I'm an idolater, because I am a, an adulterer, because I'm a thief or a greedy individual or a drunkard or a swindler or all the other sins, because this isn't the only sins that keep you from inheriting the, God, uh, the kingdom of God. There are a vast number of more, and we just got to go through the scriptures and find out maybe the one that you struggle with today. We need to recognize, as Paul says in, in uh, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, all of us, and we all fall short of God's glory. We all fall short of God's kingdom. And so what makes us think that we can point to one person's sin and say, well, theirs is a worse sin than mine. Notice in the list of these sins, different sins are listed, and yet with the same outcome. You practice these things, you do these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't say, okay, uh, on this one particular thing, this is what the consequence is, and on this particular thing, this is what the consequence is. No, all of these things do one very s similar thing. It kicks you out of blessing with God, experiencing relationship with God, and it makes you fall short of the glory of God. You see, you and I need to recognize that we will never be salt and light in this world until we recognize in all humility and honesty that we too are broken, we too are lost apart from the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So, with that in mind, if I can get you to agree with me in that, that you and I are sinners, just like the world around us, just like those who even parade themselves into all of these sins and, and live in them and love them and embrace all of these different sins, we in the eyes of God are just as sinful as they are. So what do we need to recognize? A couple things. As sinful human beings, number one, we need to recognize we're easily confused we're easily confused. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1 that sinful humanity has traded truth for a lie. And there's no uh, more clear uh, understanding of that than with regards to our sexuality. We know the truth. And we could be set free by that truth. But time and time again, we as human beings have pursued a lie. Now it's a lie that has been so fancifully advertised. It is a lie that is seen and shared by not only our politicians, but our celebrities, 
It's advertised all over the world that this sexually immoral life is the way to live. It's the life to pursue. But I want you to know that when you fall into that, you're falling into a lie. Now what, what Paul isn't saying is, is that our sexuality is the problem. Our sexuality isn't a problem. Our sexuality is God's great and wonderful gift to us as human beings. And he put that there as a loving creator God. It is how we take our sexuality and how we live it out, pursuing sinful ideas and sinful actions than pursuing what God desires for us. And because of that, we are confused. Now the text says in verse 12, we're enslaved. We're enslaved. Our views and our ideas on our sexuality have us thinking that we can't live Apart from that, one of the great arguments that is used is, uh, this is who I am. That, well, listen, you are who God says you are. You can do what God says you can do. None of us are enslaved to our sexuality. We either are enslaved to God or our own appetites and pleasures. Paul says we need to be careful not to be enslaved. For our culture and even... For us in this place, we've turned our insatiable appetites for sex instead of turning to God. And because of that, our life, our communities, our families, our society, our world is filled with all kinds of sins represented in the catalog of sins that bring about God's wrath and the inability to inherit the kingdom of God. Number two, we need to recognize, and this is more important for us as believers, but we lack compassion. Now, right away, we are the ones who have been washed. We are the ones who have been sanctified. We are the ones who have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God, he says in the text. That's us. We're the followers of Jesus Christ. We are the ones who are called to glorify God in our body. We are the ones who were bought with a price. We are the ones who have made ourselves one in the body of Christ. Now, what is our response? Well, our number one response is not to point to the sins of everybody else and say how bad they are and how good we are. And that is a common thing that we do as Christians. We have short memories of where we were before Christ came and got us. But this is what Paul brings out. Notice he lists the catalog of sins, of, of immorality that are going on, and he says, and such of these were some of you. You were there. Again, if we were to be honest, all of us struggle in one way or another with a sexuality that doesn't honor God. Both before we came to know Christ and after we came to know Christ. When it comes to our sexuality, I would say this, even as one who is going to preach against the sins of a culture, that it is not my job to cast the first stone because I am with sin in this arena. I am not living out. I'm going to imagine you're not living out God's best all the time and in every way when it comes to your sexuality. And so we need to have compassion. Compassion. 
We need to recognize that though our culture lives in the futility of their own thinking, seeking to make a God out of all things, including sexuality, that they're lost and they're broken. But never forget that you and I are as well. Therefore, we need to have compassion. We need to have compassion on those who struggle with their sexuality or identity with their gender. We should have great compassion for all heterosexual sinners who are lost in their pursuit of sexuality. But let me make it clear that every blood-bought, saved individual should have a compassion on those that struggle in LGBTQ, and, and I know the list continues to grow, individuals. And our job is to show the love of Christ to them while... And this is an important thing while holding true to God's word. Be compassionate. Now, why do we need to be compassionate? Number one, if there's any group of people that should be compassionate on this issue of sexuality, it should be Christians. Because we recognize since Adam and Eve, we have been fallen creatures, that we are broken, we are failing as a people group. And our decisions and our activities are all futile. Because we've chosen a lie over the truth. And we should recognize that more than anyone else. And so when we see a broken person, when we see someone who's struggling, even if they are um, celebrating that, our hearts should be full of compassion just as we see Jesus being filled with compassion to the broken around him. Now, a second reason why we need to show compassion, is because many people today, many of you in this place who are struggling with your sexuality, whether it's heterosexuality, homosexuality, uh, transgenderism, you name it, and there's a whole litany because our sexuality uh, runs the gamut in our world today. We need to recognize that for many we began to embrace our sexuality at a time and a season not of our choosing. For many, you were young and you were introduced to pornography. And things started churning at an age and at a place that God never intended it for it to be. And as your body's developing, as your brain's developing, as your heart's developing, into understanding these difficult things, you were short-circuited by someone handing you something or something coming on a computer screen or, or, or you being involved in something you weren't supposed to. Have compassion on people. Many of them have been short-wired not because of their own choosing, but because something was introduced to them at a time they shouldn't have been introduced to it. Number two, we need to show compassion because abuse is rampant. Sexual abuse is rampant and there's maybe one of the reasons why an individual is struggling as they are isn't because they came looking for this kind of lifestyle, but they have found this lifestyle because of something that happened at some point, whether young or old, where they were brought into an abusive situation where someone used them and because of that they have laid them down as a broken individual. 
confused about what they felt, confused about what they were experienced. And as a result of that, all manner of their sexuality has been turned upside down and our hearts should be filled with compassion for the more than a third of women in the world today who have been sexually abused. It should involve more than the fourth of young men who are sexually abused. And let us not forget that this abuse doesn't happen someplace else, that many times the abuse happens within a church place and experience we need to have compassion the final reason why we need to have compassion is because we recognize as christians that the fallen world is blind dead and held captive by the evil one falling to the lies and the advertisements of the world and we need to recognize with great compassion that they don't know the truth their eyes haven't been opened to the truth. That by nature we are rebel, rebels to the truth. And so we need to pray. And we need to love. And we need to minister to those who are broken. Maybe even in ways we don't even know or understand. Maybe in ways we've never experienced that, that we can't even sympathize with. We need to show compassion. And here's why, because we lack clarity. We lack clarity. Last week I showed you a slide and I want to show it again. And it's a, it's a reminder of where our, our minds are at. And I want you to, to take out the phrase minds and I want you to put our sexuality in there. Because our mind, our thinking, remember what we learned last week, our thinking leads to behavior. And so what we think about our sexuality will inevitably lead to behavior. And so because our minds lead our sexuality here, it is no wonder our sexuality is confused. Our sexuality is anxious and closed. It's evil and restless. It's rash and deluded. It's troubled. It's depraved, it's sinful, it's dull, it's blinded, and it's corrupt. And so we need help. We need someone to come in and to guide us and to lead us. And it is not the celebrity. It's not the Supreme Court. It is God who will bring clarity to us. Now Paul tells us why. We can no longer live with this warped mindset. He says that we as Christians have been bought with a price. We now are connected. We are now involved and, and living life with our creator God. And so we turn to God and his word for clarity. Because our sexuality and its desires are not supreme. God is. We live in a culture where our sexuality, it seems, trumps all of the things. And to make sex or sexuality above God is to make an idol of it. No matter if it's in the marriage or in any kind of other fornicating activity. Sex is not supreme. Only God is. And the greatness of our existence as sexual beings is to showcase the ultimate greatness in our creator God. Anything else will lead you to trouble. We've got to look to God. Therefore, we need a change. We need a change. Oh, if there was ever a place we needed grace. Here we are, broken, filthy, dirty sinners, 
seeking fulfillment in the lesser at the cost of the greater. And yet, what does God do? God says right away, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You're out. No entrance, no admittance. You don't get to enjoy the things of God. But he doesn't leave us there, praise be to God. But he comes and by the work of Jesus Christ, he washes us. Which shows that on our own, our sexuality will lead us to a dirty life. Notice we will be sanctified. That is, it will be an ongoing thing. When you get saved, your sexuality isn't fixed. But God, little by little, day after day, scripture by scripture, begins to reveal Christ's mind with regards to all things, including sexuality. And then we are justified, the text says. Notice there, we have been justified in verse 11 in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. What does that mean? That means when God looks at us, he doesn't see one who can inherit the kingdom of God, but one who in fact has inherited the kingdom of God. Not by the righteous works we've done, but according to the mercy of Almighty God, he saved us. And so we need a change. And God is the one who can bring it. Now, as we're changed... We live in a culture that tells us that that change is bigotry, that change is intolerant, and that change is judgmental. And I will say, yes, there are many times where Christians, and maybe even some here today, have been bigoted, have been intolerant, and have been judgmental. But the scriptures make it clear where God is at. And we know that because there's no sin found in God, God is neither a bigot nor intolerant. But he is a God of love and a God of justice. So the second thing we need to recognize this morning is while God has set a standard for us with regards to sexuality, we need to be careful with the second don't. Don't be fooled because counterfeits abound. And so we've got to make a decision. Our mind is going to be bombarded with all of these different things. And we've got to make a decision. Are we going to believe God and what he says is best for us? Or are we going to believe what the world says? The world is wrought with all kinds of alternatives. And yet God has one standard. Listen to me very clearly. God has one standard no matter where the public stands on things. God has one standard no matter if the Supreme Court agrees or not. God has one standard whether your body or feelings agree. Listen, God is God and he demands that we bring him glory with our bodies. And he is the one, not ourselves. We were bought with a price. He is the one who determines how we bring glory to him. Well, let's understand, so that we're all on the same page, what are the things that don't bring God glory? Let me share some, not all. There's a whole litany of them. But let's share some of them so we understand that I'm not picking and choosing one over another. The first one, fornication. That's sexual thoughts and activities outside of a marital relationship. So that's going too far as a boyfriend and girlfriend. That's thinking or, or meditating on things of a sexual nature, lustful thoughts and all of the, the kind like that. 
Then there's adultery. That is marital unfaithfulness. You are in a one flesh relationship with your wife or with your husband, and you've now left that relationship and involved yourself sexually with another individual. That's out of bounds. That does not bring glory to God. The issue of transgender. God created us male and female. And it's seen throughout scripture. It is articulated by God in the garden. It is affirmed by Jesus in his ministry. And it's codified uh, by the apostles throughout the epistles. We were created male and female. Now, I get that there's a lot of confusion. I get that there's a lot of struggle there. But that does not change the fact that God created us as male and female. And so when we pursue those things, we miss God's best. And we don't give them glory with our bodies. How about the issue of pornography? That is looking at uh, the naked bodies of others and, and finding them in, in sexual, sexual uh, involvement and engagement. That's outside of it. God never intended for us to be voyeurs of someone else's sexual fulfillment. Never. It was to be confined between a husband and wife alone. Never to be showcased. Never to be paraded. We are to be people of great modesty in this arena, and the Bible talks about it over and over again. We need to be careful, because we do not receive God's glory when we read exotic, or exotic, well, they're exotic too, erotic and exotic books and literature and magazines. Even if they don't cross the line into nudity and pornography, we need to be wise, as the scripture tells us, what we put in our minds and what we see. What doesn't give God glory, and this one now gets closer to home, is sex and nudity in movies or on TV. I'm blown away by Christian writers who seem to tell, and I'm going to pick on a show, but it's a, it's a well-known show, of the amount of Christians that confess to watching shows like Game of Thrones, which is known for all manner of sexual immorality and nudity. It's pornography with a plot. And that doesn't bring glory to God. That does not fulfill what God wants us to find fulfillment in. Let's move on. Homosexuality, that is the sexual uh, pursuit of relationships between people of the same gender and the same sex. Bisexuality, of course, that means a, a desire or want to be involved in sexual activity of both genders. Prostitution, paying for sex in any way, shape, or form. Or even self-gratification. None of this stuff brings God glory. And if we're honest about it this morning, we recognize we all need a Savior, amen? All of these counterfeits are things that seek to sell you and I something than the Less than the general, genuine article. But please don't get me wrong. Each of these start out so sweet, the book of Proverbs says. So alluring. So beautiful. But listen, God has created our sexuality for our good. But we are to glorify God with it. So how do we do it? Sexuality that glorifies God involves three things. Number one, it needs to be governed. It needs to be governed. There's a God-approved arena for one to practice his or her sexuality for all people, for all time. Now, how do we know this? Listen, this is how we know it. 
How do we interpret the cultural understandings of Scripture? Because right away, we'll get someone who will come up and they'll say, well, Pastor Tim's just going off an old book in an old-fashioned way. Okay. So let's recognize that norms are created not by us as a group. You and I cannot create a norm. We're too small of a sample group. We cannot say that all people everywhere are going to do what we do based on an opinion poll that we do as a collective group here in the first service. Number one, we have no idea what the second service is going to say. Number two, we live in Sugar Grove. What would the people in New York say? Let's go even farther. What would the people in China say? We need to understand what is a norm. Well, a norm is built not only in, in, in a, an ability to look at people of all places and all backgrounds and all locations, but also all times. And so when we look at the scripture, the scripture has thousands of years uh, from uh, the point that it begins in uh, the book of uh, Genesis to when it ends in the book of Revelation. Hundreds of, hundreds of years have passed from Adam to John writing the last book. And in that time, great locations have been spanned. We go from uh, the area of Iraq all the way to the Roman Empire. And so things have changed, lifestyles have changed, pursuits have changed, and yet the only place in all of that time and all of that locale by all those people groups affirmed and have affirmed, listen to me, this is why this is so important because for some reason this generation thinks we can define things different than every other generation. For 2,000 years, whether you were Buddhist, you were a follower of Islam, Hindu, or even atheist, for 2,000 years, the default position was that sexual relationships and marriage were between one man and one woman. It starts back in Genesis 2.24. Write this passage down. Unless you want to turn there quickly, you can. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 24. God says it from the beginning. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to any woman? No. Any guy? No. The man's going to leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Notice Paul says, he quotes Genesis chapter 2, and the two will become one flesh. How can any two become one flesh? The answer is that a man finds a woman, they become married, and the two shall become one. Now there's a lot of counterfeits out there. Our passage says you can't join and become one flesh with a prostitute. That's out of bounds. Jesus says in Matthew 19, as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. A man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. It is within that union and that union alone where our sexuality can be fully experienced and expressed for our good and without any guilt from God. Number two, it needs to be guided. It needs to be guided. God glorifying sexuality has to have an authority to it. And so you're going to make a decision this morning. If you agree with what I say, you are making God your authority over your sexuality. You're saying, God, it's not me, it's not culture, it's not my feelings or, or what I've experienced that's going to determine this. It's you and your word that I'm going to be governed by and guided by. Or you have a choice to say, no, I don't believe this intolerant drivel that you're speaking. 
This book was written so long ago, I've given up on that. I'm not going to believe that. I'm not going to affirm that. And I'm going to go my own way. You have a decision to make. Will you be guided by God or guided by your feelings, emotions, and the pursuits of the world? And God, in his long-suffering, has given us the ability to decide that. But... Let us recognize that God has also said that if you're not going to be guided by him, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Not just in your own sexuality, but in all ways. If we are not guided by God in all ways, then nothing should make us think that we'll inherit God's blessing and kingdom in the life to come. Number three, our life needs, our sexuality needs to be guarded, needs to be guarded. Another big reason we need to be guided and governed in our sexuality is because there are many dangerous toils and snares along the way. Write this passage down, Proverbs 5. Proverbs 5, verse 3 through 14. The warning is against adultery in chapter 5 of Proverbs. And starting in verse 3, he says, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as, two edge, as any two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. Oh, now, O oh sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep away from her. And do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to, mer- to the merciless. Let strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say how I hated discipline and how my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brick brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. So notice what he says. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing waters from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? No, let them be for yourselves alone and not for the strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed. How? By in rejoicing in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated alone, always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord as he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for the lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Proverbs 5. You don't think ancient texts have truth for us today? My goodness, if we would just affirm that and believe that, our world and our communities and our lives and the anguish that we experience would be all but gone. Why do we need to guard it? Three things I want you to know. When we pursue a sexuality outside of God, number one, the first thing that comes is disgrace. Verse 9, you'll be filled with disgrace. How many of us have not been able to get a handle on our sexuality and because of that, have fallen into grievous disgrace. We've seen it with politicians, we've seen it with pastors who have lost everything because they can't get their lust under control. If we don't have our sexuality guarded by God, it will lead to disgrace. Number two, it will lead to disease. Verse 11, Solomon says, your body will be consumed. 
He's talking about the reality of sexually transmitted diseases that come from a sexually immoral life. Yes, they were around 3,000 years ago. And they're around today. The Center of Disease Control says that now, 50% of 18 to 25-year-old kids are carrying around a sexually transmitted disease. They weren't born with it. You can look it up. The Center of Disease Control calls it now the pandemic of our generation. Now here's the sad thing. Many of them don't know they're carriers of it until it's too late. And as a result, these diseases cause certain cancers. Immune systems are damaged. And they're susceptible to all kinds of illnesses. And what the Bible says is while no sin is greater than another, Paul says in our text in 1 Corinthians that this sexual sin is us sinning against our own bodies. We become enemies of our own vessels. Finally, in verse 12 through 14, it brings disappointment. Here's the lament of a man who says, I wish I would have listened. I can't tell you how many times I've had people, I can't tell you how many times in my own thinking that I've seen my life dramatically impacted by sin. And I've heard others say, I wish I would have listened. Some of you are screaming right now on the inside because of disappointments you've had due to the decisions you've made. We wish you could go back to that moment. And instead of saying yes to our bodies, that we would have said no. The young person who went too far with his boyfriend or girlfriend now has to explain to his future spouse what's been done. The sorrow of a person having to explain when they've been caught in porn. The devastation of an affair. The struggle of not living out your sexuality and feeling that guilt day in and day out is not where God wants us to be. God wants our sexuality to be governed, guided, and guarded. Because we live in a world that has blown it so badly that we will never find it right where we are to be. We're lost and badly broken because instead of choosing God, we've allowed the blind to lead the blind. Counterfeits abound. Well, finally, I got to close. My final don't. In a world that says sexuality is all about do, 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 let me give you one more don't. Don't give up on hope. Don't give up on hope because victory is found in Jesus. We're all sinners. And we need a savior. Why talk about sin? Because it reminds us that while we are terrible, while we are broken down, while we are dysfunctional, we have a great savior. He's the glorious one. He's the wonderful one. He's the perfect one. He's the one who came to die on a cross for our sins. He's the one who became sin on our behalf. He's the one that took our pride. He's the one who took our anger. He took our gluttony. He took our envy. He took our lust. He took our broken down, filthy sexuality. And he nailed it to the cross. Canceling its debt. And so what we are called to, because we have such a glorious Savior, because we have one we can run to, is when it comes to our sexuality, we find our fulfillment in Christ, not sex. Find our fulfillment there. Whatever sin you deal with, 
Go to the cross, cling to the cross, pursue the cross so that you and I can be forgiven. That's why we worship and adore Jesus and not sex. It is Him alone that fulfills us. It is Him alone who gives us our identity. It is Him alone who determines what is right for us and what is good for us. He did not create our sexuality to be a killjoy, but to be one who allows us to experience and pursue it according to His terms. Number two, we need to flee temptation. In verse 18 of our text, we are told in, to flee from sexual immorality. And it comes, reason why, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And so we need to understand we are going to be bombarded as we leave this place with all kinds of immorality. And we need to flee. The Greek word flee is fuego, which means that it means you go. You go. You don't stand there. You don't sit around. You don't knock on its door. You don't wait for something. You don't look through the peephole. You don't ask who it is. You run. You vanish. You get lost. You seek safety by flight. Whenever temptation that advertises sexuality that is not for you... Don't stand there. Don't try to resist it. Don't tip your toe in it. Get out of there as quickly as possible. Flee temptation. And finally, gain forgiveness. I'm talking to a whole group of people where their sexuality, of course, is all fallen. But some, it's a fallen thing in the past. For others, it's in the present. For those that it may come in the future. Well, listen, if you are a flawed individual sexually... If you're a broken person in your sexuality, listen, you've come to the right place. Because it is here that we recognize we all deal with sin. It is here that we all recognize we all need God's help. It is here that we're called into community to help one another, to confess to one another, to serve one another. No matter what our struggle is, no matter what our issue is, we don't celebrate sin here at Village Bible Church. We stand opposed to it. Knowing that we have a Savior who's conquered these sins once and for all time. And it is because of this that we worship Him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the only one who can address these things. And He is the only one who will enable you to not only find your fulfillment, to find your place, to find your identity, but when you fall, when I fall, to find forgiveness through His blood. And to one day be welcomed into eternity. We have a landmine before us. And that landmine is huge. The sexual landmine in our world today is probably as big as they get. But let me remind you of one final truth. As big as our sexuality is, God is bigger. As great as our sexuality is, God is greater. As wonderful as our sexuality is, God is even more wonderful. And because of that, my brothers and sisters, let us pursue Him. And let's acknowledge Him and Him alone in all facets of our lives, including our pursuit of sexuality. Amen?